Welcome to episode 48 of Millennials in Ministry. I'm your host, Erin B. Lashley, and today I am super excited to have my good friend, Tor Hawley, on the show and her father, Mr. John Hawley. This is a really unique experience for me. I've met you, um, Mr. Hawley, before, but to be able to converse with you on a topic like this, I think, is really unique and very special to me, for sure. So for those who don't know Tor, Tor to me is a very talented photographer. She's been a teacher in lower income areas and the Lord recently put it on her heart. Well, not recently, but put it on her heart to uh, go to law school. So she'll be starting in just a couple of weeks here at ASU, which is really exciting. And her dad, uh, Mr. John Hawley, has been teaching Spanish as a teacher for over 30 years. Is that correct, sir? I, I taught Spanish for 20 years. And 20 years. And I've been a principal for 11 that's right. Okay. So he has incredible experience as well. And so I'm excited about this conversation. To start off, I thought it would be fun because your father, daughter, Tor, if you want to, for us who don't, who don't know your dad, um, for someone who doesn't know him, how would you describe him? And then what do you admire most about your dad? Mm. Well, you know, I love the Enneagram. So my dad <laughs> is a textbook three and he is a goal-oriented achiever. He used to, when we were growing up, before every school year, he, we would have to sit down and write our goals and make sure they were measurable. And like, oh, wow. we, we were very task-oriented in that sense. We were very good at setting the goals. <laughs> Not we, always we, good at we were good at monitoring them. Okay, okay. Uh, but no, my dad is. My mom hates when I say this, but my dad's my, my favorite person, and it's for a lot of reasons, partially because we are very similar in a lot of ways. We have similar humor, and so that makes it easy. Um, but he is very intelligent, incredibly compassionate. I think the thing I admire most about my dad is his ability to connect with anybody that he meets. Mm -hmm. um, he's really easy to love, and he's a, he's a great leader in any scenario that he's been in, whether it was as a teacher, as a coach, as a dad, as a husband, um, and as a principal. To see him bring everybody on board for something is a natural gift that we don't all have. So, That's really right. sweet. That's sweet. I'm so, glad Mr. Holly, video going because if it if it weren't, it wouldn't be that nice, probably. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes live helps with stuff like that. You know That's what I mean? Right. <laughs> So for you, Mr. Holly, what would you say, um, how would you describe Tor to someone that doesn't know her? And what do you love most about your daughter? That is a question that I could take a long time to answer. <laughs> um, I told her last night uh, when we were just discussing this interview and world things um, yeah. that at 26, she's just a much better human being than I was at 26. Um, and she continues to grow like she has a heart to understand people and understand the world to understand, you know, like where she is in her faith of how God wants to use her, um, yeah. not just for his kingdom. I mean, that's the biggest thing, but for right here on earth to make a difference, um, for her to have a heart to, to student teach in a, uh, a socioeconomic place where most people think they would want to go to teach and say, mm -hmm. nope, that's not for me. I want to go work with a different clientele is just her heart's golden. And yeah. uh, that's what I love about her. That's cool. Oh, you guys are so sweet. So Tor, I want to first ask you just to get into that because you first started off when I first met you, you know, you were teaching in lower income areas. You have a very, you know, big heart 
for that group of people. And as of late, the Lord has given you a heart to, you know, move from being a teacher for those students to now, you know, being able and being in a position where you can change the laws for those students. So can you talk to me about that heart change and your passion for this topic? Yeah, I think that it's, it's really another layer of something that was started in me a long time ago. I've, I've told this story numerous times of, I remember being like 10 years old and sitting in my parents' church um, and listening to a missionary share her experiences. She was back to raise support or something. And as a 10 year old, I didn't know what that meant. Um, but I remember leaving there and thinking, I want to do that. Um, and as I got older, and now I would say, I don't believe that missions specifically in the sense that the church sees missions um, is for me. But I, I've always known since then that I wanted to be in a helping profession of some way. And I do think the international sphere is where my heart has always lied to. Um, yeah. In high school, I thought it was social work. And then in college, I, I decided on elementary education. Um, and when I moved to Phoenix, it was kind of a, it was really a last second decision. And yeah. I took the first job I got and uh, started teaching in an incredible school, um, incredible community, great support. Um, but I felt like I have this language skill and I have a heart for wanting to be there for people who don't have as much as I have. Um, and mm -hmm. so the school itself, even though it was wonderful, it wasn't the population that I wanted to be serving necessarily, especially with the high Spanish speaking population in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make that switch. And that's when I started teaching in a Title I school um, downtown. Um, the more involved I got with the community and the families and hearing stories about what they're dealing with, that's really where the, the switch flipped for me. And mm -hmm. I started to see things less as a, I want to have this um, individual impact with students and to say there, are, I can have that. And that's beautiful. And I love that. And people who have a heart for that's amazing, but I want to be able to do something at a like more system level. Of, yeah. So um, I tell a story of a student of mine um, who was in my first class at that second school I was at, who is in the gifted program. She's, an incredible leader. She's incredibly talented. She has, I mean, if she were growing up in Scottsdale, she would have everything going for her, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. she's, she's growing up in a in an, um, low-income household with um, in a Hispanic family, with Spanish speakers in her family, and there are just so many things working against her uh, in our country and in our state. And that was kind of a motivator for, for me to say, I want you to have an avenue to be successful. And I can't do that from the position that I'm in. So it's just started opening up that way and spent a lot of time talking um, with the Lord about it. And then talking with my parents and some other people who, whose advice I really value and, um, kind of started the law school process from there. That's awesome. So Mr. Holly, Torres described you before as a very devoted Christian who um, lives amongst conservatives, but your beliefs are very liberal. So I want to ask you, how are you able to coexist and build relationships without strife? <laughs> uh, that was something that Tor and I discussed last night. And I wouldn't say that it is completely without strife, but there are really, there are really two camps. I think there are... There's one camp where there is strife, and I don't dwell in that camp very often. 
because um, to me, that camp is very ignorant, very, um, very ugly, and I just can't dwell in that. But I am fortunate that I have uh, many conservative friends who are Christians, mm -hmm. and they have some very conservative political views, but I also know their heart, and they care about people, and they probably do more for vulnerable families and vulnerable individuals in our yeah. community than I do. And we can sit down and have discussions that are civil and where we try to understand each other. And so that's what spurs me on to try to be that person in a conservative environment that mm -hmm. gives people a different view, a different perception, a different angle, a different experience. Because yeah. to me, um, a lot of my views come from my family. My mom was born and raised in Puerto Rico and talks a lot about coming here as a international student to Kearney, Nebraska, of all people. She was, <laughs> she was, I mean, so this is circa 1948. She's the only Puerto Rican in this Western Nebraska oh, city. And those shaped my views and we traveled a lot. We got to understand people who had less, but were in many cases happier than Americans. So yeah. I don't look at the world and see them as less than us. And um, also through, through Tor and her sister Alexandria, they have a lot of uh, minority friends, friends who are minorities. Mm -hmm. And I get to hear from people like you. And most of the time that's through my daughters and your experiences. And I try to share some of those so that they get a true understanding of what it's like to be a black or Latino in the United States today. Yeah, that's well, so good. You I, were you going to ask this story? Which one? Oh, ask a so Tor's a fan of this story, so I'll share it with Hi, you. Hi, Abby. <laughs> um, and that is, so a lot, I do have, I do post a lot of things on, um, on Facebook. And really at the heart of my desire to do so is I am a conservative Christian in, in many ways. And I think there are a lot of, Christians who to me are America first and Christ mm -hmm. second. Yeah. And so I, I try to post questions. And I remember one time I had a, had a meeting at church and I posed this question. I don't remember exactly how it was, but basically is, you know, um, the Latinos today are like the Gentiles of Jesus's time. Mm. And so Jesus didn't care about borders. He didn't care about nationalities. He didn't care about any of that. And I think we have a lot of Christians in our country right now who are really America first. And mm -hmm. I'm just not that way. So I pose a lot of questions. But going back to my other point is, so I posted that question about, I think I put it as a question, like, what if Jesus accepted the Gentiles, how do you think he would handle the Mexicans and Hondureños and so forth? So I go up to the, so I go to church for a, for a meeting. And I'm gone for two hours, two and a half hours, and I come back, and this is, my post is just blown up with <laughs> Democrats and Republicans, and, and they're arguing. They're all people I know. Yeah. And at first, at first, it was pretty civil, and, and then it started to get ugly. So I got in there, mm -hmm. and I just uh, stated this. I said, you all don't know each other, but I know everybody in this thread. And wow. I know that if Alexandria and Victoria and Kim and I had any problem, we could call on any person on this thread, Democrat or Republican, and you would, mm -hmm. you would jump right in. 
You all have yeah. good hearts. You all care about people. You go about it differently. Let's be civil and try to understand each other. And that, I guess that would be the number one experience that I had on, on Facebook. And then that, there mm -hmm. were continued good discussions about trying to understand the other side. Yeah. Now, that's a really great experience that you have. And I really love the way that you kind of toned that, all that, you know, like, emotion down a little bit but it actually leads right into my next question which is for both of you um, because today I listened to a talk earlier today by a gentleman by the name of Eddie Glaude Jr. and he spoke a very direct message in the church on uh, white supremacy and how fear is driving policy and specifically for white people it is a fear of black domination blacks taking over and being you know the majority, and for black people, it is a fear of suffocating at the hold of white supremacists, physically or figuratively speaking. Mm -hmm. So he was saying, if we don't address the internal issues we have as human beings, we can't move beyond this point of this issue that we're having. So in light of that, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think the appropriate response should be to the recent shootings that were in uh, Dayton and El Paso. Yeah, we've we've talked about this a, a decent amount, and um, I think the the appropriate word there is the hardest for us mm. to figure out because um, you know, I think for me, the first appropriate response should be heartbreak. And I told my dad, I said, you know, what comes to mind first is the song I think that says like, "Break my heart for what breaks yours," yeah. uh, speaking to the Lord that I think because gun reform and mass shootings are such a polarizing issue in this country um, and it becomes politics almost immediately and we've become numb to it to an extent but we're so used to this happening so frequently that we don't we don't mourn it enough and so um, for me I think that has to be the first response is to remember that these are people's lives that yeah are loved by the Lord and loved by other people here and that we should mourn that first and, and allow that to be heavy so that it moves us. Mm. But yeah, I think when we talk about it in terms of white supremacy, that's, that's hard for me to talk to mm -hmm. because I think, you know, when I talked earlier about the two camps uh, and I'm not saying the people that I know are white supremacists, yeah. uh, but to keep going farther that way, I don't understand them. I don't ever talk to them. I, I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. But what I do think I see in America today is because of the internet, because of just your generation, mm -hmm. your generation is much more worldly through social media, through the news, through travel, through whatever. And I right. think there is a young generation who understands the world and really the world as Jesus sees them. Um, and I think there are a lot of people in our country who you said it best when you said they're fearful. I, mm -hmm. think, I think in terms of white supremacy, all they know is that, and that's what they're fearful that they will lose that. Where, mm -hmm. where for me, and what I've tried to stress with my daughters is, and, and Tor and Alexandria are far better than, I, than Kim and I are. And Why do you keep rolling your eyes? Because he says stuff like that, and it's just silly. Well, here's what I mean. Like, I mean, we've always stressed for cultural diversity, cultural understanding, cultural appreciation. 
Um, but Tor does a much better job of just embracing somebody's background, no matter what it is. It's, yeah. it's far more than tolerance. It's far more than understanding. It is embracing it and really wanting to know a person's strengths and a person's uh, why. And yeah. I just think in terms of white supremacy, there's no desire to do that. Now, mm -hmm. to answer the question about the, the, the response to that, Kim and I went last year to a church here in Moline, Illinois, that had an anti-hate um, weekend conference. And um, they had a guy named Frank Mink speak, mm -hmm. who grew up out east and, be, and became a white supremacist. Was at, everything you can think of, he did. He ended up going to prison in Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a black friend of his named G who started talking to him about the Lord. And he just broke down all those barriers. Wow. Because he had, he had grown up with his dad, his relatives saying blacks are this and blacks are this and blacks are that. Yeah. And he believed it. Well, then he met G and he started to realize, well, that's all a bunch of rubbish. Ooh, wow. there's, an, there's an old term. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he moved back out east. I think it was Philadelphia. And of course, he's got swastikas tattoos all over his body and nobody nobody's gonna hire him right well i don't remember the guy's name but a jewish furniture store owner hired him and then spotted him some money and i remember mm. frank saying something to the lines of why are you doing this for me mm. i mean and, and and because of those relationships that changed everything for frank wow, wow. um so i mean i don't know how you get people who don't want, you know, he's forced in that situation in prison. Yeah. I don't know how you get, but it is through relationships. And I think that's the most frustration I have with this political administration mm -hmm. is if he, I mean, it's no difference. I'm, a, I'm an educator, right? And I tell yeah. my teachers, the oldest quote for teachers is your students won't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Absolutely, right. If there was some acknowledgement that, you know what, this, this is an issue that we do have to deal with, with how many immigrants are coming to the country and how do we keep our country safe and how do we make sure we're not letting um, people who are, you know, might come and kill people or how are we going to take care of? If there was just some concern to say, we've got a major problem here and it's complex and there's no easy, but it's not that. It's a very different issue and that's hard for me to swallow because I realize it is complex. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with Tor. The term appropriate there, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when I heard that talk from that guy today, I was like, wow, I've never really realized how much fear is driving culture in our nation. It's a fear of what I'll become if I accept you. It's a fear of what you could do to me if I talk to you. But like you guys said, you know, the solution, the beginning to the solution of that problem starts with relationships and wanting to talk to somebody and embrace the culture of someone else, even though it may be different than yours. So I appreciate you sharing that. But so this is another thought that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, and this is a question for both of you again. I've been thinking about how much media controls the narrative of what we think and what we believe. And even I myself as a black female, um, to a degree, I've been trained to be afraid of my own kind. And that's something that was a hard thought to think, you know, it's like, wow, like me, 
black in America in 2019, I'm afraid of certain black men. But that's a narrative that I've learned from media showing me certain imagery and me embracing certain, you know, people that I follow and stuff like that. And I think it's important to realize that there is a certain kind that is controlling my perception of what is dangerous and what is safe for reasons that benefit them. So in light of that, the question is for you guys, what are your thoughts on media and how they control our perception as a society? And what can we do about it? I think that's a at, at its beginning you have to you have to recognize where it's affecting you and I mm-hmm. and I applaud you for recognizing oh I this even affects me and how do I work on fixing that and yeah. I think at the beginning of it comes self awareness and um, I've always hated the I don't see color thing because Erin yeah. I love you you are black I'm Hispanic white what like that is period the end. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that I don't love you and I don't appreciate our differences. I think that that is an issue for me too. The the us versus them is an issue, and so is the well. I don't see it anyways, because I think in the middle is where the solution is. Right, mm-hmm. to say it's not us versus them. It's not blue, red, liberal, conservative, uh, black, white, whatever it is that that is polarizing. That is how we've gotten to where we are. But the solution isn't to just pretend it doesn't exist either. The solution is kind of what my dad mentioned earlier, I think, is it's somewhere in the middle to say, I see that you are different and I want to know what that is like. And I genuinely want to experience that and and see it as beautiful. I think um, um, a a moment for me that I don't think I realized at the time at 18 years old that it was a a defining moment in my life, but I remember – I had gone to this frat party in college and it was one of the black frats on campus. And I looked around and I was like, wait a minute, I don't fit here. Like I don't belong. Everyone looks different than me. And it was uncomfortable. And then I was like, wait, these are my friends. I'm going to have fun. And it was fine. And then I think reflecting on that experience, I recognized that that was the first time in my life that I was the only I was the only person who looked like me in that scenario, but all of my friends who were there go to classes every single day at this university and are surrounded by white people. And they're the only black person in every class there and the only black person when they go to the cafeteria, whatever it is. Um, And so I think that that's kind of how this perspective of of embracing other cultures began for me in in a personal level, not just a story level from my family and my grandparents and And I, I've always seeked out those experiences, um, whether like when I was in Spain, I wanted to go to where the Spanish people went, right? I was like, oh, they go to this area, to these bars. I want to go there and I want to experience that. And they're here on Saturday yeah. mornings. I'm going there. Or um, same when I was in Costa Rica, same with just any – what. I told my dad, too, about the coffee house that we went to with Breton and how it yeah. was just like – it was like a big black family singing, <laughs> yes. like dancing. I loved it. it was, yeah, it was great. And how awesome. we have to we have to recognize that, oh, this makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. But how do I work through that experience to say, why does this make me feel uncomfortable? And can I find beauty in this? It's not just saying, I see that you're different, but I want to find what's beautiful and what I can embrace in your differences. And mm-hmm. I think that that's where the solution has to go. So when we see the media put a, an article that, you know, a, I think one that affected me and bothered me so much was the the man in 
Dallas who was shot in his own apartment. And the first articles about him were, well, he smoked, you know, he smoked weed. Like, okay, so he deserves to get shot in his apartment. And that's right. the narrative when a black person is involved. And we have to recognize and say, stop, hold on. Mm-hmm. You don't get to tell me that he's bad and deserved this, even though those aren't the words that you're saying. Yeah. I can understand. Let me see this, this whole picture um, separate from the way that the media is placing it. And how do I, how do I understand it? as an objective scenario. So we have to invest relationally and we have to invest intellectually to say, hold on, this isn't the whole story and I need to make this make sense logically. That's good. That's my rant. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that, that's an important question for us as a society to answer is what, mm. what is the role of social media and what impact is it having on us? Yeah. Now, in one, in one thought, these fears and some of the things we've talked about tonight didn't just happen with the onset of social media and media. They, they've been part of society forever. And when I think about a question like, how do you change people's perceptions? Um, I think of a few different ways. One I've already talked about with relationships. That's the number one is, is having a desire to actually sit down and understand yeah. somebody else. Um, I also think about my father, who I admire a great deal. He is, uh, he is a, a white man who was ahead of his time coming out of rural western Nebraska. So he, wow. he grew up in a little town of Ansley, Nebraska. He graduated with 23 or students in his class. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad left him. He's born in 1930. His dad left him when, when he was two or four years old. He worked on his uncle's farm, but he read books. And he read books mm-hmm. about the world and worldly things. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, Tor talks about monumental moments in our lives. And one is something I didn't get a witness, but I heard about in my, in my childhood. And that was my dad saying one of his best friends in the military was a black man. So my dad's in the military in 1950. This is the era. Yeah. And they, go, and they go to a restaurant. I don't remember where they were. And they sit down. And um, the owner of the restaurant comes over. And he says to my father, um, you can eat here, but your friend cannot eat here. But he can eat in the kitchen. And my dad said, well, if this isn't good enough for my friend, then it's not good enough for me. So we'll both eat in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And they did. Wow. So the third, the third prong to that is, uh, you know, that I don't remember how the exact quote by Martin Luther King is, but it's the, you know, this, it's the silence of the people who know better. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to sit in silence, mm-hmm. but what I struggle with today is uh, through social media is how do you do that in a respectful way, mm-hmm. in a way that honors Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, like even last night I had somebody respond to something on Facebook and I texted two friends of mine that are Republicans that we have conversations with. I said, you got to talk me down. Cause I really just want to walk over there and <laughs> hurt this guy. Um, you know, so it's lucky that I have that. And I struggle with saying things the right way. I think another thing is this, I do have Fox on my feed, hmm. um, to try as hard. I don't listen to it as much as I should, but just to try <laughs> to understand a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, so, so it's relationships, it's reading books and trying to understand, but at the heart of it is, is 
Jesus doesn't care. He loves us. He, he made you. He made Tor. He made me for specific reasons and to be unique. And I can't be who I am if I don't get to know you and grow from that experience from you. And I, I just wish more people had that, that desire to learn and grow and realize that when I come in, in contact with other people who think differently, th that helps me. Yeah. So. I appreciate what you guys shared because it does take a lot of self-awareness and to recognize, you know, what is my personal perception? This is a question that I've been asking myself. Like, what perception do I have of the world, of minorities, of black people, of white people? And where does that come from, you know? And then taking the personal responsibility to change my perception if I know that it's not true, you know, by educating myself and finding out the truth of history and those things that aren't necessarily I'm going to find scrolling on my feed, but they are, it is out there, you know, and I think that's an interesting thing about living in 2019 is that there's so much information available to people that sometimes I feel like we don't even know anything because there's so much knowledge we don't choose to you know what i mean take advantage of the knowledge that is available um but another question moving on for both of you guys <laughs> is as a believer in the media world i found that there are two different people groups so um the first group is people who think that unless you act you know your faith isn't real so you know unless you're doing something advocating for social justice issues you're not a real christian because jesus you know was angry jesus flipped tables jesus was an advocate jesus was an immigrant jesus was active when it came to social justice issues and then there's another group of people that i found that people who think that the government and the president can't solve all of our problems because they're not god so they err on the side of we'll pray about everything but we won't do anything else and we'll leave everything else in the hands of god so the question is what are your thoughts on that and should there be a marrying of the two i mean i think we both agree that there has to be yeah. um i was telling my dad about the conversation that we had at bible study a couple weeks ago or and um talking about as we walked through James and I told him about how Francis Chan had shared that there are um, half a million children in foster care in the United States and 1 million churches and how much of a travesty that is, right? If ever, if one family in every single church adopted a child, it would eradicate the foster care like issue that exists in this country. And, right. um, and so that's a, that's a part of the acting. And I, I don't think that um, social justice and advocacy is everyone's avenue to act. It mm -hmm. might be adopting somebody. It might be working mm -hmm. in a hospice home. It might be, I don't know what it is for each person, but there has to be some sort of action. Yeah. Um, because that's what he calls us to, right? Is we can't, we can't love people when we, when we sit back and, and do what's comfortable all the time. Mm. Like loving people is how many times do they say like love is a verb, right? You have to, you have to go out and do something. And, and Jesus says it over and over and over again too. And, um, absolutely pray. I mean, I'm not saying don't pray, but like, yeah. pray on where, what Avenue you need to go to and then do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when you, when you read the Bible and, and you hear stories, whether it's in the new Testament or the old Testament, you think about the power of God in that. But in reality, I mean, even if you take Moses, 
God yeah. gave him specific direction, but in the end, he had, he, and we all, we all wish we had some more direct communication and had that very <laughs> clear message. Right. But, but he still had to do it. He still mm -hmm. had to act on that message. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me more is the other part of your question, and that is, you know, that the Jesus turning over the tables and getting angry. And to me, and I'm sure there are, there are biblical scholars that know a lot more about the Bible than I do, but the Jesus that I fell in love with and the Holy Spirit that has convicted me um, to love people more than I used to, that, I mean, before Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I was a very selfish person. I, I am very driven. I, like when Tor says I'm a three, um, I just, like I was a basketball coach and I knew I was going to be coaching state teams and I was just, you know, and it's going to be more and it's going to be more and that's just the way I was. And and then I had a boy who committed suicide and he oh, was, wow. he was in my Spanish one class and I read the article in the paper and they talked about his being an Eagle Scout. And I mm -hmm. thought, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. I, I don't even know this kid. I, I, I didn't even take the time to get to know him at all. I, I mean, mm -hmm. and there was a lot more that transpired after that, but that, that, and I've talked with his mom a lot since then, that God has used that to say, you aren't so important, John, and you need to look at other people. And that, mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit has continued to develop that. But when I see Jesus, I see Jesus getting angry. And when he's very stern, He's stern with people who know better, with the religious leaders of the day. He's yeah. angry with the religious leaders of the day. Yeah. So if I'm going to be angry, to me, it's going to be with people who know better. It's going to be with Christians who should know better. You know, where I struggle with is, okay, right. Are we going to let 100 million Mexicans come in here undocumented? We don't know anything about them. Mm -hmm. They would say, no, we can't do that. But anyway, that's that's. And then what was Jesus like with the Gentiles? What was he like with the Samaritan woman, with right. the woman at the well, with the paralytic man, with the leper? People who don't know Jesus aren't, aren't going to fall in love with Jesus because you tell them, hey, you, homosexuality is, a, is against God's 100%, rule. Yeah. You, might, you know, that's the other part of it is, is you talk about the act, but it's also the judgment. Hmm. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the holy spirit has convicted me in a way i never thought would have happened and i i haven't I, and i don't know everybody so maybe somebody has come to jesus through the rules but mm -hmm. to me most people come to jesus through the love yeah Absolutely. and that's where i think we get it we get it very backwards wow i can see why tor loves you so much and where she gets her fiery passion from she gets it from her dad that's great well, they um, say no, we're a lot alike, so. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I'm a 3-2 on the Enneagram, so I totally identify with the whole driven goals thing, so. Um, you're a, you're a more organized 3 than he is. Oh, really? <laughs> Dang. But I am a very, I'm a very smart 3 who surrounds myself with a lot of organized people, so. See? You just make up for where you lack in other people. It's totally that's fine. That's right, that's right. The joyful, now she's on, she says she's a 3-2. Nina, Nina loves the Enneagram more than I do. <laughs> All right. So, Mr. Holly, this next question is for you. So what is a story that you can share um, of an experience that you've had growing up or maybe one of recent that you feel really shaped your views um, on the current political climate? 
Well, I, I mean, the political climate, I come back to what I said earlier. Uh, it's yeah. two things. I do want to represent the conservative Christian church differently than what the, the media presents, or maybe yeah. I, want to, I want to show the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is the most important to me. And so to have a Republican president doesn't bother me. To have a mm-hmm. president who would show that he cares and wants to make a difference and would show some Christ-like vulnerability it would be very different for me. Yeah. Uh, my anger continues to grow because there isn't that. Um, yeah. To me, um, Donald Trump isn't somebody who I would want to be my friend. He isn't somebody I would want to be my boss. He's not somebody mm-hmm. I would want to be our, my preacher. He's not somebody, uh, because I want to have a leader who cares. I want to have a leader who has a heart and some compassion yeah. um, and then struggles through how to how to make that work. But um now I've, I've gone off a tangent here i'm sorry I do, that. I do that um i talked about the frank meek that that one really hit home with the relationships but in terms of in my community in my circle yeah i am i really come back to i want to show them a different conservative christian as a principal you know what i'm in a public school and I have all kinds of kids who come to the door. And to me, I want to be that principal like Jesus who says, come to my door. Now, I hope that sometimes I get to have a conversation about Christ and what he's done in my life, what he can do in your yeah. life. And that, unfortunately, is, is uh, not as often as I would like. But I'm called to love you. Right. And to show you Christ. And if you accept Christ, I don't have to worry about it. Holy Spirit's going to work on you for what the Holy Spirit wants to work on you on, right? Right. I don't need yep. to do that. Um, so I would say where I am right now, uh, I'm torn between um, that right there. That's the biggest one. I want to show a, um, a person who cares about more than America. That's good. So. That's really good. I also want to ask you, in your opinion, you know, what would be indicators of white supremacy within a church setting like if i'm going to church i call myself a christian if i want to identify whoa you know i'm kind of erring on a side or i just want to be more like christ really you know what i mean like what are some indicators of white supremacy growing in a church and how can people identify if it's in them or if it's in the environment that they attend the and i'm going to say this but i'm guilty of it too so Part of the Christian church of today, the Christian church can be very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And we can go to, for example, where we live here in suburban Iowa, it's very easy to go to a church with a lot of like-minded people who look all alike and do things the same way. And then we can have some people come into our church who, I mean, we don't have a lot of blacks come into our church, mm-hmm. uh, but they could be very poor and not dress the suburban part. Yeah. And if you watch people in our church greet that person versus mm-hmm. versus greet the new teacher in town or the new whatever in town who yeah. dresses differently, we're different. And we do that in all walks of life. And so mm-hmm. how do we love everybody and not have the fear that you talked about? But So that's what I see in, mm-hmm. in, our, in our specific church here. Is, um, and I'm as guilty as anybody. 
it's really yeah. easy to go to church on a Sunday and talk to the people you talk to. And right. yeah, so I'm not condemning anybody for that. Um, yeah. something that, that I'm not condemning myself. I think um, you might disagree, but um, I think one of the roots of white supremacy is like what can build to that if you're not self-aware and you don't decide to check it or it's it's built in you from a young age is people hate the term because it's been overused but but white privilege right because supremacy is privilege taken to the next level it's saying mm -hmm. i don't i don't think that i have this privilege that's been given to me i just am better I've mm. been given opportunities and I've been given all these things because I worked hard and I did it and I, 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 and that makes me better, AKA Supreme, right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what supremacy is. And so I think as uncomfortable as we get, when we have to recognize what our privilege is, that we have to uproot that. And, um, and I think it goes that it's not just white people, white, white men have the most privilege in this country and nobody would, I don't think anyone would argue that if yeah. statistics would disprove if you do, <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's not saying you, you did something wrong because you're privileged either. It's saying recognize that you got a head start to life and recognize where those things are and recognize how that has shaped your views of other people who might look different than you, who might talk differently than you, who might be from somewhere different than you, um, and recognize how your head start affects everything you do and see today. Um, and I think as much as I believe in democracy and believe in government, um, I believe in people so much more. And so I really do believe that if we as the church nationwide, why should you look at me like that? No, I'm, I'm listening. It's good. Um, I think if we as the church nationwide recognize, here's where I have privilege. I've been really successful in my business. Whether that was I started from nothing and rose up or I was inherited something, I don't even care, right? Mm -hmm. if, if I recognize this is a successful business that I have and I look at, yes, I'm meeting the, the federal rules for how many minorities I have to have in my business, great. But what if I what if I double up on that? Or what if the homeless person that I pass every day that says, I just need help, what if you give them a chance or a few chances? Mm -hmm. um, there, I like the story of um, that new Kevin Hart movie that was based on a, a, a French movie that was based on a true story of um, this very wealthy man who takes in a prison i mean he came from jail i don't remember the whole story right but he's a black man with a criminal history with no qualifications and what i love about that story is he gave him a chance but he messed up multiple times he gave him another chance and he messed up again he gave him another chance because he saw he's trying he has the heart he you know i think we get in our in our white privilege and our privilege we get well i gave you a chance and you and you failed Mm. And that's not, first of all, it's not grace and that's not biblical. And second of all, if, if I'm coming from a place where I haven't been properly prepared for this profession, it doesn't mean that I am incapable of it. It just means I wasn't given the opportunities to be prepared. I'm probably mm -hmm. going to need a few more chances to figure it out. I'm going right. to need some more support. That doesn't mean I won't get there. But to say, if I'm a business owner or if I'm a... Um, a coach or if I'm at whatever, wherever you're at and whatever you can do, recognize where you have privilege and how you can give somebody a chance. Mm -hmm. um, but I really do think just back to where I think that the privilege part is, is 
where supremacy builds from and we have to we have to deal with it at the root yeah that's very good that's so, very good um <laughs> yeah bravo Tori. this question is for you um one of the biggest issues currently taking place that isn't getting any media coverage is the sudan massacre and i want you to just if you can just explain to maybe those that aren't really aware of it what is happening and why it's happening and one practical thing we can do to help and mr holly of course if you want to chime in you're welcome to yeah we he has a he has a good historical tidbit um but basically as far as i understand i'm definitely not um qualified to give all the details but um as far as I understand, what happened was the the civilians of Sudan have said, I want a democratic government. We want, you know, we want this to change. We want to be able to have a say. Mm -hmm. They had set up all these peaceful protests. Um, the military or the, the security that helped support um, these protests, that helped them set it up, helped them keep it safe throughout a, a bunch of months leading up. It had been peaceful and fine. Um, they eventually got the president out and then there was this transition period. And so they were putting another peaceful protest because the civilians wanted to say, this is our, this is what we were hoping for. This is our opportunity to step in and create the yeah. democratic government. Um, and so we want to be able to vote for people and allow this process to begin now. Mm -hmm. And the, the military forces that were protecting them said, this is our chance to step into power, the leader of that force. So they, killed over 100 people wow. at a peaceful protest in a place where they had been the protectors, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously horrible. But I right. think that honestly, the scariest part was the aftermath of that, that they they took control. And they had, they shut down all media and all like access to communication. So if I'm a family member, and I know my family was um, I know my sister or somebody was at the at the protest. I can't get a hold of them. I can't call the hospital. Are they shut? I mean, they blocked all contact with anybody for days. And so, yeah. it, I mean, it's terrifying. It's a terrifying level of control. Um, I do know that I've read that the African Union is investigating and um, it's being taken care of by a lot of a lot of other influences as well. Um, but I think in terms of what we can do, um, I love the, the website change.org. It's, <laughs> it's orange. You see people share different things about it, but, um, it's a, it's an incredible site that allows you to sign petitions really, really easily. Um, and then you can donate to organizations that have started that petition or that are a part of enforcing whatever that's trying to get to. Um, yeah. It's a great source of information. And so I, I kind of stumbled upon it by accident a couple of years ago. And based on what I have, what petitions I've signed, it emails me ones that I would be interested in. And usually mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, I want to sign that. Right. Um, it gives me more information. So I think that that's a great resource. Um, I also think a big resource is looking, doing the research and figuring out what organizations are already in the country. Um, I think as Americans, we we want to help a lot and we don't know where to begin or we'll say, well, I'll, I'll go help clean up the mess. And that's great. But there are organizations that are already there that 
have the people there who understand the community and the culture and what's going on at a deeper level than I could if I just jumped on a plane and went, right? Yeah, so right. figure out what organizations are and programs are already there that I can donate to or support from yeah. where I'm at. Um, and I always think that that's a good place to start. That's good. Mr. Harley, did you want to add to that? Well, um, when we were talking about this before, this, this, the historical story that um, I shared with Victoria, and I, I'm not a, a big historian, so if you have some historians that are listening, they'll, they'll probably go check and say, <laughs> way off base, but um, it, Spain did not enter the World War because they had a civil war, and then, so we're going back to the 30s, and then General Francisco Franco and the military won, and then Spain became a dictatorship for the next 40 years. And so mm -hmm. at that time, it had been a monarchy, and the family, the royal family, then had moved out of the country. And so then as Francisco Franco um, got older and he was trying to find his successor, um, the royal family had a, had a young boy named Juan Carlos. Mm -hmm. And so he was raised in all the best military schools in Europe, and he was going to be the successor and continued this military rule in Spain. And then when, when Francisco Franco died, and at that time, King, I'm oversimplifying things, by the way, but King mm -hmm. Juan Carlos realized that they were going to have another civil war if he continued mm -hmm. that military rule. And he is a leader that I don't think worldwide gets nearly the... Uh, attention that he should for wow. being one of the leaders to change Spain to a democracy. Wow. A, a person who could have had all the power um, was very involved in helping Spain change from a military dictatorship to yeah. a, um, a democracy. So it's very interesting. I wish we had more people like him. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so uh, privileged that I got a chance to have a conversation with both Tor and her father about this topic. And one final thought that I was thinking about in preparation for this is, I was thinking a lot about Moses. I was actually talking with my sister about this, that Moses was born a Hebrew. And at the time, they were when he was born, they were killing a lot of Hebrew boys. But he was wound up being sent to Egypt, raised in Egyptian culture, saw the conditions of his own people, as slaves and God used him to deliver his own kind. But the thing that sets Moses apart that I think is fascinating is that Moses had an advantage because he had the heart and blood and skin of a Hebrew boy with a psychological understanding of an Egyptian and his ability to lead his own kind out of slavery in a culture that he understood, he was able to use that as leverage. And I feel like Tor, I think that's probably why I admire your stance of wanting to become an attorney, because I feel like that is your way of being a modern day Moses in a culture where modern day slavery looks like police brutality. It looks like, you know, prison systems and um, detention centers. And I just really feel like I'm excited to see you grow in your journey with all of this because I know you're constantly learning. You love people. You love the Lord. And you just want to do people right. And I think that God's going to use you in a really cool way over the next several years. So um, this has been awesome. And I want to ask you guys a final question. Just if you, people want to follow you and what you're doing, both Mr. Holly and Tor, what's the best way for them to do that? Also, if they want to advocate for some of the issues we talked about, how can they do that? Um, 
I am hoping with, in terms of following me, I'm hoping to use my creative page, which is primarily writing and photography to eventually merge something um, with what I hope to be doing um, when I become an attorney and even through this process. Um, so follow this, this page. I have um, a Twitter account, Tor Holly Legal, where I um, mostly retweet a lot of things or add some comments to things. Um, but just to stay informed and I, like my dad said, following various forms of news sources to make sure that I don't stay completely biased in my perspective. Yeah. Um, and getting involved, there are so, so, so many organizations that I think are incredible. Um, but an awesome resource I've recently learned about is, um, let me find the, it's, the website is immigrationadvocates.org. Um, and you can search by your city or by your zip code what organizations help, and this one is specifically with immigration, what organizations need attorneys, need translators, need volunteers, need backpacks, yeah. need whatever it is, and figure out um, how you can get involved in your city. And I think, like I said earlier, you have to you have to know your, your heart, right? And say, this is what moves me and this is what I care about. And it's not enough to just talk about it. It's not enough to pray about it. You have to act on that and to say, whether it's immigration, whether it's whatever, there are organizations for everything and they're yeah. probably in your area too. So start with your area. If you can't, then donate. And I think, you know, we have so many busy people in our society and donating is the least that we could do. If I yeah. believe in something and I can't act on it, an action I can take is to invest in people that are acting on it. Um, and so I always think that's a great, a great way to. Well, in terms of following me in social media, being a 54 year old gentleman, it, I don't have all, like Tor's got her computer and she has all these things. listed. Yeah. It's a lot easier with me. Just you follow John Hawley, just friend me on Facebook. And um, that's an interesting thing. I've had a lot of friends tell me, I can't believe you keep all those Republican friends. I've blocked all these people who wow. say all those nasty comments, but I, I want to keep the conversation going and hopefully we can, we can change some things that way. Uh, my advice um, to people is in, inclusion is ma it matters. And if yeah. you are not, you know, and we can, we, we can only control our circle of influence, right? So I live in this mm -hmm. little town in Iowa. I'm a, public school principal at a junior high with 540 kids and, and their parents. And, you know, so my goal right there is for every child that comes into my building, whether the child is black or Latino, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, whether mm -hmm. they're Christian or Muslim, it doesn't matter to me. I want them to feel loved and like, this is the place they should be. And this is where they want to be. And my, my other views don't matter. I, I, that's all I really want. And, and yeah. the Lord, the Lord is judged. The Holy Spirit is the convictor. And I don't need to be all those things. I just need to right. love you the way Jesus loved people. So, so we good. just all need to do more of that. Well, thank you so much for joining again on Millennials in Ministry. I know Instagram's going to cut us off in just a minute here, so I'll just <laughs> shut it down because I want to save this. But I still appreciate you guys. Love you so much. And I'm excited to uh, share this conversation with other people. So thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, you for the opportunity. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. Bye-bye.